It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh, and I am talking to Nan Fu Wang. She is the director of the HBO Max documentary, In the Same Breath. It is a look at how the Chinese government turned pandemic cover-ups into a triumph for the Communist Party. It is unlike any documentary that I have ever seen, and I cannot recommend it enough. It is so brave. Nan Fu, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you. Uh, this was a, a revelation. I, I, I want to start with just the just the logistics of how you managed to do this. And I, I was you know, probably 15 minutes of the way into into the movie when I realized that this was just nothing like any documentary that I was used to seeing. I think we're very used to seeing sanitized documentaries. They, they might be uncovering um, important subjects. They might be tackling controversial issues, but they're they're usually done with the you know the cooperation of of the people who are who are being interviewed they're usually done in a way where you can tell that there was some sort of sanctioned access to what is being filmed whereas your movie doesn't have that feeling at all it it it, it almost feels like watching cctv footage of people who who happen to be talking in front of a camera can can you talk in the beginning just about the difficulties of capturing some of these moments on film and how you were able to get so personal in an area that is so hostile to that kind of public speech. Yes, um, I think the scene that you mentioned um, is the scene that where you find patients and um, healthcare workers in Wuhan, in the hospitals of Wuhan, Mm -hmm. um, that they are self-censoring and um, filtering some information. And that was one of the first things that I noticed when started making this film. And immediately we had to um, figure out if people are so afraid of the government to speak up um, what do we do next? How do we document um, the truth? Um, so from that moment on, because our camera person would oftentimes shut off the camera when, um, yes. when, they, when they say something negative. So from that moment, the camera person all got instruction that they would keep the camera rolling nonstop. And so basically they would set up a camera, whether it's stationized or moving, that camera is always rolling. So I would get like 40 minutes clip, not from when the camera is turned on to it turned off. And I guess that's why uh, you mentioned there is almost like a CCTV um, mm-hmm. feeling because it's constantly filming every corner of the room, but it is done with um, the permission and approval of the, the location, the people. And um, it is done with a professional camera. So later, as we get more in more time with them and identify the key characters, then we went home with them. And um, there are a lot of in-depth moments with each one of them. Um, so the major discovery that we had was what the government tried to portray um, the pandemic, tried to write a version of what the pandemic was, 
uh, is very different from what people experience on the ground. And the film not only shows that in China, but also um, shows a parallel storyline in the U.S. Yeah. as well. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, I lived, I, I was in Brooklyn uh, for the the for the first year of the pandemic exclusively. So I was, I was on the ground there when like Bill de Blasio was telling us that everything's okay and we should go out to restaurants. And then 48 hours later, we're in a lockdown. Um, I was so struck by how similar the early efforts were in Wuhan to the early efforts in America. I, I think we're, we're very used to seeing Dr. Fauci in one light. And that light is, this is a guy we can trust. And you're, you're talking about not only the propaganda that you're seeing on Chinese state-sponsored television, but also Dr. Fauci saying that you don't need a mask and, you know, on March 10th and, and, and that kind of stuff. It, it, it struck me. I, I wasn't prepared for how one-to-one the parallel was going to be between communist China and my own experience here in democratic United States. Um, as somebody who has moved between the two, were you surprised that it followed such similar lines? Absolutely. Um, when I came back from Wuhan, uh, uh, from China, my hometown next to Wuhan, um, I my family was celebrating, basically saying, you are safe now. You went back to the yes. U.S., you got back. And so even when I started making the film in January and February, um, I had never predicted or expected that the outbreak would happen in the U.S. in the way that eventually we are experienced. So it was extremely shocking um, to me, and especially as an immigrant who came to the U.S. with an idea of what the U.S., you know, democracy, freedom of speech, free press, all of those um, almost should be able to prevent um, the lack of transparency that we mm. are seeing now and the level of misinformation. And uh, to a certain extent, um, the not easily um, detectable propaganda and censorship, but they all exist. As you can see in the US, in the film, the healthcare workers, in New York, in New Jersey, early um, in February, March, raising questions, sounding alarm, and one by one, they got fired. And mm -hmm. that was eerie to me. And that became the major theme um, of the film to explore why two similarly different, uh, ideologically, politically different systems um, ended up being making the same uh, similar mistakes. And eventually, we're looking at um, in both countries and not only China and the US, it reflects our world as well, even though it's not directly featured in the film, that the authorities and the governments oftentimes prioritize um, preserving its power and its image over uh, the people's safety and health. Over public health, absolutely. I one of the things that I found striking uh, was, again, because of the parallels that we we all experienced here, um, was the role of social media. So can you talk a little bit about from being being from Wuhan, spending time in that area, the disconnect between the images that you see or that you saw in in December, January, December, January, February of 2020, and what was being shown on state-sponsored TV, and how difficult is it to get 
the truth out via social media when you have that kind of propaganda machine attached to a government? So in China, the media are controlled by the state. Um, from very early on in uh, early January, late December, um, for example, on social media, people started talking about um, um, OSARS like virus. And right. these are doctors, patients, uh, people who know the doctors. And all of those posts would be immediately deleted. And um, in this case, some of the doctors were punished, were detained, were questioned by the police. And on the other hand, the state media had been telling people for months that there was no virus. This is a rumor. There is no human to human. So it's almost like they were forced to admit one thing when they couldn't cover it up anymore. So it started from there was no virus to at some point, yeah, there is virus, but there is no human to human uh, um, transmission. Right. Um, and then, you know, it evolves. Um, but similar thing that we've seen here as well, um, over the first few weeks, um, uh, the protocol, the situation and what the government said we need to do or not do is changing almost from day to day. Um, and there is no excuse um, uh, saying that that's because we don't have information um, because all the evidence have shown that when the government uh, knew it and um, how early they knew it. And by juxtaposing the timeline, what they told us versus what they knew at the time, there is a huge discrepancy. No, and the, and the reality that, that the people in Wuhan were facing on the ground was, was truly horrific. And I, I saw more, I think, behind the scenes um, grappling with life and death in this documentary than, than, we, than we saw here. It was, there were not a lot of cameras in hospitals here. Um, we did not get a, a look into, the, I mean, I'm thinking about the, there's a, a, a really, um, a really jarring scene early on in the documentary where an ambulance driver debates with a, a hospital about whether he can drop off his elderly COVID patient who seems, you know, who clearly needs treatment, seems near death. They won't take her. And so the family is standing on the sidewalk trying to decide whether to leave her at the hospital where they know she won't get treatment because there aren't enough beds or to take her back home where she also won't get treatment. Those kinds of conversations were happening in America too, but we didn't see them in the same way that you're able to show them here. Um, did, did, you, did you realize that you were going to be bringing scenes home for a country when, when you put this? Like, it's not so much exposing what happened in China as it is bringing to light what was happening everywhere that we, for one reason or another, didn't get to see on our own media. That scene was shot pretty early on, and um, when we were filming it, um, at the time, the it was so early um, last year that I didn't expect and then didn't and uh, didn't hope, you know, see like this was gonna reflect the whole world situation. Yes, and unfortunately, it did. Um, um, it is is just so hard to believe that became um, the common scenario everywhere in the world. 
I want to ask about the people who worked on this film and and their safety. Two of your camera operators were credited as anonymous. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, you 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 worked within the restrictions as much as you possibly could. But is it is it dangerous work to do what you do in a country like China? Uh, every time you make a documentary in China, if it's a social, political, and even as just a social issues that everybody anywhere else wouldn't consider as political sensitive, could be sensitive to the government. So it always involved uh, risks. And uh, that's something um, our team and with every collaborator, we um, have lengthy conversations from before we started filming, during them to post. Um, all our communications are um, happened on encrypted platforms and wow. we, we had to take every uh, precaution we could um, to minimize the risk and protect everyone. And the people who were credit anonymous, everyone we basically talked to them and asked them how they like to be credited and mm-hmm. whether they have concerns. And um, you are seeing anonymous and you are seeing actually there are names that are not their people's actual names on their ID, but a preferred name. Um, right. So there are different scenarios. Um, and certainly um, so far since the film was released, um, luckily that no one who participated in film in the film or worked on the film have been contacted by the authority. But uh, myself, my family, every one of my close family members have been taken to the police station to be questioned and to be threatened, um, basically telling me that I can't, I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I can't make another film in China or, uh, or my family member would be arrested. Police have questioned your family members over this film? Yes, um, after the film is out. Wow. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you all have to go through that. And I hope that you have um, all of the support system that that you need. This is this is such critical work to put out into the globe. Um, There was a there was a a piece of the propaganda that, again, I wasn't prepared for how similar it was going to be to my experience in New York. And that was the lifting up of essential workers as heroes. There was, uh, there seems to be a really big drive uh, to tell positive stories um, in the pandemic. They talked about women with COVID who had given birth successfully as, as a story that came up a lot. Um, And, and lifting up essential workers as like, these are the people who are getting us through, like they're the ones who are driving the economy and like, yes, we should certainly talk about the hard work and the labor of people who have to, to, to keep the world going, even during a pandemic, but this turning them into heroes, as opposed to people who are trying to survive under very difficult and unsafe conditions, um, seems to to deflect from the reality of the disaster that is unfolding by focusing on a couple of bright spots or by deciding that people exactly. they know that, that that this is heroism as opposed to survivorship um survival it it it, it, it struck me that there's the same appetite for that in China as there is here in in the US when when you saw us you know start clapping every day at 7 yes um did you think about China 
Well, I, you know, I filmed with uh, many healthcare workers in the U.S. Um, and you see them, um, some of them in the film. And I asked them about the seven o'clock clapping and <laughs> several of them just laughed. And um, I mean, they, they appreciate it, but they were like, this is ironic. Like, what is yeah. what does this? do for us um they this is all like they appreciate it in a way that's from citizens you know from people but uh on the other hand they were like every day we're we're on the verge of you know dying and they're so like we are we go to the we go to work we don't know what we come back home for and the there is no support or to the opposite that many of them when they do uh, question the management, when they do question the institution, the policies, um, they were silenced and they were punished. So they found it ironic to have, um, you know, like a five seconds of clapping. What does that change <laughs> their situation? Yeah. I can see that being one of those like laugh or you'll cry moments. Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just have to sort of see the absurdity of all of it. I now that we're watching sort of, I don't know, pandemic phase two play out, whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, how do you feel seeing this much vaccine hesitancy in the U.S. after seeing the devastating effects of covid in in Wuhan? Um, I wasn't surprised. Wow. Um, I wasn't surprised even last year in April and May. And that was when we were filming the reopen protests. And not only from the, you know, it's the, the protesters who ask for opening up the country when, when opening up the states and also on the health, on the side of the healthcare workers, many of them we talked to, they lost trust in the authority. And so even from then, I, I knew and we had conversations about the vaccine too from last year before the vaccine was available. And a lot of people has no trust in the authority and the government. Yeah. And and that's, that's scary and dangerous because um, a healthy society should have um, the right amount of skepticism and always hold the government accountable. But in this case, um, because of the misinformation coming from the government, because of the, uh, from the early on, because there was already, they, they lost the trust in people. It's hard to regain the trust. Um, and that's what makes the society, I think, and especially in this time of a crisis, um, very uh, vulnerable. Yeah, we've 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 often said that that the two things it seemed that you needed were uh, a competent government uh, that was interested in public safety and a culture that sort of understood that public health is a, a public issue. Um, we we regularly point to countries in Asia as being farther ahead of us on on things like that. Like you know they wear masks when they're sick already. That's not a new or novel idea to many countries in Asia, like it is here. Um, so that might be one of the reasons why they were able to get it under control, despite the fact that the government was actively opposing them taking the precautions that they that they needed to take. So I wanted to ask with that in mind, how how has Wuhan been affected since the documentary filmed? Like, how is the Delta variant affecting Wuhan? The Delta variant, China has um, extremely strict quarantine policy and uh, vaccine policy. 
So it's mandated. Everybody who travels needs to be quarantined in the hotel um, from the government uh, assigned. And, uh, and then uh, vaccine is mandated for in many, many places. Testing is master test program. So at this moment, um, the Delta variants are not, um, they, they yeah. had a wave about a few weeks ago, but they immediately um, tested everyone and quarantined the ones, um, the positive cases and the close contacts. Um, so the situation about the virus right now um, is under control in China. Yeah. Um, but the trauma, it, it will take oh. years um, and decades for people, uh, even just the, the ones that we've contacted uh, it'll take it'll take generations to to un to uh, it'll take generations to heal. To be perfectly honest, this uh, this documentary I cannot recommend it high more highly. Um, it is on HBO Max. It is called In the Same Breath. It is something that we probably all need to watch. Nanfu Wang, uh, thank you for making this. Thank you for your bravery. Um, my thoughts are with you and your family. Um, this was just truly a remarkable thing that you've done, and thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell, at Jess underscore MC, and at Signal Boost Show. 